Hey, this is Cameron. The audio on this episode is garbage. I'll try and do better next time. I'm sorry. I did everything I could. It's sort of repaired, but it's still kind of crunchy. It sounds like I'm being crunched the whole time. I'm I'm really sorry. Anyway, here's the episode. Hello. Hello. Hello, Brock. We did it. We did it. Oh, you're weirdly quiet. All right, let me see here. Let me screw with my levels. As you do. Uh, okay, give me give me some uh, give me some monologue. Perfect. One, one <laughs> two. All right, yeah, that, you're three. You're fine. Okay, okay, everything's I got cool. Three, I worked. Yeah, the three is what really got us there. How's it going? Ah, uh, not bad. Just what am I doing? I was here for a second before you called just Mm -hmm. furious that i was waiting on you and uh was shopping for seeds Seeds. as one does yes oh i suppose when is uh seed planting is going to happen in like a month or two correct yeah here i really should have already been seeding in like a garage or indoors or something because it's been mid-70s for about a week and a half now and will continue to be. So I'm like already behind somehow. And it's, uh, what is it, like February 20th? Yeah. So uh, it got up to 60 degrees today. Um, and tonight it's supposed to be 30. It, it's a 30-degree swing day. <laughs> Those happen. Uh, yeah. I think we finally got our last, we had a bunch of snow a couple of weeks ago and then nothing, it got warm again. And then there was like one day of like malevolent extra, like, like drive by snow, like you, you got rear ended by a guy. And then as he, as he's leaving, he throws you the finger. It was the finger snow. Um, yeah. Well, here we do have the winter. Uh, spring lulls you into uh, thinking it's here and then something terrible happens, which in a place where like tropical ish plants grow, but it isn't technically tropical. It really screws with them like citrus trees, one week of warm weather. And they're like time to put out all these leaves and the cold fronts like would be a shame if I killed all of that right away. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there are many things that I don't really miss about Florida, but the fact that almost every plant is spiky is something I'm really happy to have left behind. (laughs) I sort of, I definitely agree. It's, it's like Australia light down here in Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, it feels very frontiery. You go up North and things seem sort of restrained slow growth like you know if you see something it's probably developed over a decade and in florida it's like you know you cut something down and like everything's like exploding out of the ground like i i don't know it's it it feels very unsettling in a way but also uh yeah frontierish like i'm exploring somewhere the exploding thing happens here too it's just that it's like one part of a vast uh uh, 
spread of season turns, right? Like you have a snowfall and then you have some rain shower air, air days and then it gets warm and then it gets cold or whatever. And then like you will have a, a springtime where everything just explodes and it's like, da-da, spring is here and there's ivy going up the sides of buildings and it's beautiful outside, et cetera, et cetera. It's just that that's one phase, like it explodes and then everything is green for a while. Whereas in Florida, the exploding kind of starts in February and doesn't really stop until like mid-October. <laughs> yeah, they just... like overshoot. They're like, let's do this. And like two months in, they're like, what do we do now? Keep growing. Yeah, all of, all the plants are like all all, all very survival-oriented plants. Yeah, they're exactly. just incredibly aggressive. They're like, we got to go. We're going to die soon. Let's yeah, right. <laughs> And my my mid May, I'm mowing twice a week, and the grass is just flipping out constantly. And then some weed takes hold. Uh, I'm, I man, I do not miss any of that stuff. You know, I was gonna, I was thinking of giving you a. Uh, I'm not sure. I uh, no, I I can't recall like how often you spent time up in a cold place. Um, and uh, but and I did, I, I did a couple of years of college in Ohio, but I I was horribly under-equipped in retrospect, retrospect, and I'm kind of surprised I survived, uh, because my, I have a routine now and I have that I've had for like a year that is still, there's so much novelty in what I do to get ready every day compared to the entire rest of my life. I thought I would run that down for you. Do you want to do that? I mean, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever use this properly, but, um, it couldn't hurt. I've only stayed in the cold for maybe two weeks in a row. Right, That's yeah. And you can get by, right? You go outside, you're like, well, it's really cold. And then you maybe play in the snow or whatever. But like the day-to-day of like, oh, I have to walk 15 minutes in this and go to work and things like that. Um, so in Florida, I, and I would, I mean, to get ready in the morning, I put on shorts and a shirt. And then I put on chucks and i probably don't put on shoe uh socks and then i go <laughs> that's right like there's not there's it's very normal uh and then i come up here and almost every morning i i here's what happens uh, uh throughout the winter until like today when it's like in the 50s but any if the, if it's below 30 outside which was most of winter right i get up i uh let's see i i put on uh uh long i put on long johns which are like not not like cotton waffle knit long johns. They're like thin, like acrylic kind of nylon material. Um, oh, I'm I'm imagining it. Yeah. So they're they're it's, it's they're black. They're they're not quite. They're, it, I'm not like a lumberjack or something. But you put those on, and then you put on the wool socks. Now I didn't. I've never owned a pair of wool socks. I now own like twelve pairs of wool socks. I, I you know if you wore socks, it's like ankle socks. Or maybe like a crew sock behind, underneath your chinos or whatever. I'm talking like big, chunky, fuzzy wool socks. So I, I put on the wool socks and, the, and, the, and that stuff. And then uh, you got to put those on before, before the pants because otherwise you got to yank the pants up to get the big, tall sock on and all this stuff. So every day I'm wearing like the long johns and the wool socks and then like an undershirt and a shirt and a, and a and pants or what have you and then i have my hat i have my gloves which i have i don't have fancy complicated gloves i have like uh, mittens where the tops flip back which kind of nice yeah they're they're, they're, they're like, very hip 
They're, no, yeah. they're, they're like the opposite of hip. I, I went out to <laughs> try to find some... Uh, yeah, it's super... I, I went out to try to find some Gore-Tex gloves, like some real tough, uh, like, waterproof gloves, and the place that I went was, like, a claimed to be a, uh, a uh, military surplus store, but it was in... Mm-hmm. It's like a, a hipster military surplus store where every, well, things have camo on them, but it's not... Like, I went in and asked for Gore-Tex, and I might as well have asked, like, if they had, like gauntlets from a suit of armor <laughs> did they have gore-tex in korea <laughs> no no it was just some kid that's the thing it's like some guy and he's like oh we have these cool like knit gloves over here and he's like maybe you could try home depot is what he told me when i told him that home I depot he had no idea the, my, the point i'm making is that he had no this is a city a city kid yeah. in a in a fake there may uh, be more out of touch here than I, I initially realized. <laughs> well, these are not this. I mean, I, I could go to the Menards here, I guess, is the other like that's the big uh, like uh, if you if you owned a fishing cabin and wanted to buy everything for it, you'd buy a Menards. Menards is a place where you can go and get like a bucket of paint thinner, 20 pounds of beef jerky, a fishing pole. <laughs> like it is. It's that kind of story. Anyway. Oh, OK, th- so it's like a gas station in. Alabama. It's it's like that if it was big enough to have its own zip code. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, like I'm I'm in the this uh the surplus store where I thought I could find some really good pseudo military uh, waterproof gloves, and I failed utterly because it turned out it was like a military themed affectation store. Uh, so then I ended up in a, in like a basement of a place across the street that just sold a bunch of actual surplus. Like here's 30 racks of a Arby's shirt or that kind of thing. You know, it just, it's one of those places where truckloads of clothes just come to die. And they had a huge rack of these like, uh, mittens for like $12. And so, you know, instead of going out and spending $89 on leather gloves with the circuitry in the finger, so you can use your phone through the gloves, I just have $12 mittens where I flip the the like top of the finger part back, and then I can use my phone. It's great. It's mm. low, low so, fi smart, smartphone gloves. Fingerless gloves, cool, but impractical. Fingerless mittens, not cool, but highly practical. Yeah, I, I they work great. So I have, and I I do have a pair of like leather gloves that uh, I got for Christmas. So I, I'm I went from having nothing, having like a hoodie and then a jacket, and if it was cold, I'd wear the hoodie and the jacket. To now I have a uh, four, three or four pairs of long johns. I have like a dozen pairs of wool socks. I have some some boots that I wear every day, like b- bigger boots than I would have ever dreamed of wearing, just like big black leather boots. Um, I've got a parka. I've got two different kinds of gloves. I've got like three scarves and two knit caps. Like, it's, it's a completely different world. You're not convincing world. me to, to live anywhere near there, but I understand I have a, uh, just a general fear of the, the cold. So I think that the equipment is what makes the cold work. Like once you get all that stuff on, uh, first of all, you do kind of have a like, strapping on all the stuff kind of uh, vibe to it you know like uh yeah it's like uh you, you need like a squire you're like gladiator <laughs> right yeah set, well or like need, a knight i need like uh the the like the scene in uh star wars where they're getting out of the trash compactor and they're putting on the like uh, stormtrooper b- utility belts over their regular clothes 
like clipping those like with the, all of the like unexplained little containers or whatever the heck is on those belts. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, you're. I mean, I definitely. I. I like this idea of someone else putting on all this stuff for me. Um, I'll have to talk to Archer about that. It's uh, like a, a handmade, but I don't know what. I think it's, there's a dude a version of that. I mean, uh, okay. I, I mean that term's a little dated. It's a couple centuries dated. Um, well, what's a maid like? A man, like a, a manservant, a handman. <laughs> no, I've I've changed my mind. I'm going to put on all my own clothes. Um. So anyway, I, uh, I I I go through this whole process of putting on all this stuff, uh, and it, it it is I I have become something I would have never imagined. Like <laughs> it's just so different. I don't know. When do you think that happened? Like, when are people living in such a way that humans are clearly not? naturally survivable in this climate uh, and they're like this is such a bummer but like how long did you think it take, took people to 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 recognize that not everywhere's like that and then why didn't they all move there you're you're you are located in florida right now you realize that <laughs> it's like the one of the the most uh in a different way that I, w- I would say it's more of a flora based hostility than a than climate based hostility uh but uh, I, I, Shannon and I used to talk about that. Like you go to like a beach in Florida that hasn't been cleared out and you think about Spanish conquistadors landing on the shores and the shore being like eight feet of sand and then like just solid underbrush and all of it spiky and there's horse flies everywhere. And then like, uh, I, whereas like, yeah, it snows here, but when it, when it's nice outside, it's glorious and all the, grass is soft and everything's green and there's birds chirping happily and stuff. Whereas Florida, everything is either spiky or poisonous or both. Every place has its, uh, has its hostilities, I guess. I mean, we can't, all, I, right? I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think it's completely equivalent across the board. There is an element of that, but I mean, yeah, there was a lot of civilizations that came out of the Scandinavian regions and they all sort of would filter South over time. So I think, I think humans do have that tendency, but with technology now we can sort of ignore it more. So, but you mean like a tendency to move towards temperate climates? Yes. Or more temperate at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have enough content. I mean, like, Sure, but they're all still living up there too. I think you grow accustomed to it, or like there's cultural reasons to stay there or whatever. It is, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting to think about as much as like we move around now, like, right, I moved a thousand miles north pretty easily. Um, to the amount of effort it took to move like on a covered wagon from the East Coast to California or whatever is so much more dramatic. Like the amount of moving, the moving itself wasn't, wasn't as dramatic, but like given the means, uh, and what you had to commit to do to move somewhere, like going across the ocean when it took like a hundred (laughs) days, that kind of thing. Right. And you might die. I think, yes, I think even more than that, if you take it back further, the effort it took your like group to know how to survive in a place self-sustaining mm-hmm. at a place 
how much of a risk it would be to change where you were and have to reinvent most of your survival stuff. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that's not a small move. I think rapid migration must be more of a modern thing. Now, now I don't know what you call it. It's not even migration. It's just like everybody's everywhere. Yeah, it's just moving. The bar is so low. I mean, it's at one point uh well i mean either the king commanded it right or inland put up a reward for explorers or there was a trade reason right like uh you know you got to go get that tea and that tea is worth a lot of money and then you need more people to come help you with the tea so you make whatever land that you've you've you're now working from seem you know it's pr becomes valuable right to like talk people into coming there kind of like the greenland iceland thing are you familiar with this i think this is actually true i don't know if it's true but i know what you're talking about i mean it makes some sense if it is true mm-hmm. we'll just let everyone guess what that is oh no sorry yeah it's that uh iceland is actually pretty and greenland's actually garbage and an ice block but at one point they were named the opposite so they could attract people to the to the uh to the um larger worst place and uh keep them from settling on the smaller <laughs> cool one with bjork on it yeah i'm sure there's like a modern version of that but mm. oh man uh so it's cold it got warm and now it's going to get cold again i think now uh i i think that we managed almost 18 minutes about the weather so congratulations to us on that um <laughs> Uh, I have, it wasn't completely cursory. I, that's the entire podcast. Not completely cursory. <laughs> we don't really have a, a little bit. We don't have any real theme or even like more than a passing justification for even doing this. But it's not completely <laughs> cursory. Yeah, <sighs> oh, so fine. oh, I should. Uh, I I almost I forgot. This is episode six, and I've forgotten every single time. I'm not above a little housekeeping. Uh, we, you know, we have, you know, candid uh, call with hopefully no edits unless one of us says something unintentionally terrible, uh, which hasn't happened yet, although it almost has happened like six times. Um, so uh, housekeeping, we have a, this is Cameron and Brock are two people is the name of this podcast. My six-year-old son who just turned seven named it. Uh, let's see. We have known each other since we were six. This is supposed to be a podcast where we uh, catch up because we haven't talked that much in the last like 10 years. And we have a website, CameronAndBrock.com. Also, I don't, I don't even think you know this. I went and got CameronAndBrock at gmail.com. Oh, my. Yeah. Can we get emails there? We, we can get emails. I have no idea. I, I don't have like a specific request or even a promise that I'll read said emails, but it felt appropriate to go ahead and get an email. So we have an email. Right. Uh, it's out there now. Yeah. You're welcome to people or re- readers are welcome to write in and uh, let us know what they think. Um, okay. I, mo- I might write in. Oh, well, I mean, you're welcome to. I just said it. I, I don't think you're excluded. It's not like a uh, employees of the company can't enter the contest kind of thing. Um, okay. Uh, so on that note, I'm going to awkwardly segue into uh, since I, we haven't gotten any mail, but what I have been getting, especially from my very own mother, is... Uh, a lot of uh, kind of play-by-play as she listens to the episode and then either corrects me or uh, adds additional commentary to things that I remembered uh, poorly. Um, she sent me a what's basically a to-do list of things for us to talk about. 
uh, that I wanted to bring to this. Like corrections, like official apology corrections, or just like things that you've forgotten that you should remember. I mean, I'm not going to go back and and correct anything, but I do have a a one very long text message from her that I I, I want to bring forth to the um, kind of the present to the. um, Okay, that counts as mail. Okay, yeah, this is basically mail. All right, this is from my mother. You have yet to talk about getting in trouble for sitting on the bottom of the Walker's pool with an air compressor and Mrs. Walker's weights, or breaking Mrs. Jones's Carson Newman umbrella when you were goofing by her ban- goofing by her van. That's what it says. The only time I've ever seen her angry, and I just remember the episode on the bike where you came home with the handlebar rubber wedged in your braces. Needless to say, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> oh, so she just didn't have all the backstory. <laughs> I mean, uh, let me just clear this up. uh Here's something that people might like to know about Cam. Uh, I don't know your current relationship, but you always had, perhaps among my friends, a unique relationship with your mom wherein you would tell her almost everything that ever happened. And I'm not saying... I was actually pretty straightforward kid. I didn't like try to sneak around. Uh, but you know, it was like volunteering certain information wasn't, you know, necessary in all scenarios. <laughs> so I would get a lot of flack third hand. Uh, and my mom would, you know, I'd come home and she'd go, what were you doing at UWF? I was like, what are you talking about? Ms. Daigle called me and I'm like, Cam, <laughs> huh? And hmm, huh? Hmm. Well, uh, if I had known that that uh, I was unintentionally like the the mole in the operation, <laughs> uh, I probably I wouldn't have done that. It was a thing, but it was never like. I it, mean, it didn't destroy friendships. You weren't a rat. You just had a way of over sharing perhaps probably probably i i would say there there was a time period where i was very uh i, I definitely my mother was a, a close confidant uh, apparently not a well, not a airtight close confidant <laughs> <laughs> well then it's a good and bad situation that is yeah. a good relationship with uh negative results for third parties perhaps yeah i mean i there's uh, there's a lot of that like a lot of that era is going to be interesting to visit differently with with my kids when they're older um because like i was the oldest of seven right so the even though even though i i I confided in my mom a lot i was also under a lot of like in retrospect really strict rules i had like 11 o'clock curfew um, I had a phone that cost 25 cents a minute to make outgoing calls on, but was free in coming calls. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> that was a uh, Christmas call present. Call me. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The like man, I'm hanging up. <laughs> the, the era of, yeah, a one ring, and then I would just say, call me, and then hang up. So it only cost me 25 cents, and then you could just call back. Um, yeah, that would, that phone was a Christmas present, which I – in. Uh, Various times and like uh, not very earlier on, I would say earlier on in my twenties when I was like think like processing some of that stuff. 
I kind of, I think overshared to some other people and forgetting that like not everyone even had the means to get a cell phone at all. Right. Like I, I was, I had very earnest compl- complaints, I guess, or just like, uh, pro- pro- like externally processing, right? Like, Oh, this was a Christmas gift. And then retrospect was kind of bizarre. Like, you know, like, oh gosh, <laughs> I didn't ask for a, I didn't ask for a cell phone. Uh, I don't think, and uh, it was kind of exciting to get one, but the strings that were attached were big, and uh, but like I, I've definitely complained about that to some people. Where now I'm thinking back, and I'm well, like, well, eh, I think this is some 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 of what you explained, I think was founded. Like mm-hmm. maybe I'm misrepresenting here, but I remember hearing you getting things such as toiletries. Yeah. And, and things, you know, you associate with perhaps a 50-year-old or 60-year-old <laughs> receiving. Uh, there was one – Not even that. There was one Christmas where and, – and to to be clear, I'm actually to this day don't know like what the financial situation of my family was at any Christmas. Uh, there definitely was one Christmas where they decided to go heavy on the you're a real man now sort of uh, philosophy. Uh, so it was more of like a – a life yeah uh, gift and, and my family in general was not big on the um video like they never bought me any video games or uh i barely i think they got me a cd now and again but like i and one year they got me some guitar pedals which was pretty cool um so there was always some stuff but um but yeah they it i think up against like and again they're having to buy presents for like seven kids so oh, yeah up against uh y- y'all where like i would beg and beg to get one pack of um of, of the star wars collectible cards oh, we were like 13 right and i was i all i wanted was like one and they're like five dollars my parents didn't want to buy any of those so they never did and then you would get a literal like retail box with like 40 me and my brother had to split the retail box <laughs> oh i'm sorry you had to split it do I sense bitterness? No, actually, this is all. No, no, nothing about this is going to make me look good in any way, because um, I'm I, I'm either you know sounding bitter or like uh, uh, underappreciative of my you know otherwise very privileged yeah. and you know my it's... Uh, an upper middle class upbringing, or we have to talk about like how I stole some Star Wars cards. Out Do of, we? <laughs> we don't. I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, in my in my uh, uh, hubris and uh, bitterness toward my uh, my own uh, lack of of uh, the Christmas gifts I wanted, um, felt justified in doing so. If it's any consolation, I definitely understood the mindset behind it. It was not <laughs> lost on me the 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 differences in our situation, and in this specific case, the fact that. You were just heavily invested mentally and in, in, uh, in this card game. I, as yeah. far so far as you you played it a lot, you knew everything about it. You loved it, and uh, it was more of like a hobby. I didn't even play it very much. I loved collecting it. <laughs> I did like it a lot, yeah. but like as far as functionally, you could have gotten a lot more out of having the amount of cards I did, and so. I can, even then, and I was not quite as self-aware. None of us were back then. I understood because you were stealing like 
Lieutenant Suba. Like, you weren't trying to grab <laughs> out the foil Han or anything no, like no. that. I mean, it was clear the angle was like this. I don't, I don't really necessarily appreciate it as much as you. So why should it be a problem? In retrospect, I probably would have been okay, like, giving you some <laughs> right yeah in a in a more like upfront if we were all a little bit old of course if we were all a little bit older hopefully we would all be making better decisions when it came to buying <laughs> right. thousands of dollars of uh of uh of cardboard cards for a game that in uh to be completely honest was like a poor man's magic the gathering like it wasn't not that good a game um but like, yeah, I, I could have probably offered you five bucks for a bunch of commons, and we probably would have both been a little bit more on the up and up. Uh, hey, I feel like I legitimately took that situation with me through life in a positive way. I, I'm kind of impressed that you you took it in stride as well as you did. Um, I I wasn't a steely kid. Like I didn't. No, this was a like a unique yeah. situation. The the Star Wars cards and the situation there. Um, I'm actually like I knowing the amount of my personality I already see in Archer. I'm I'm. I mean, I I don't think we're gonna actively steer him away from anything, and I don't want to necessarily do what my parents did, which is to like blatantly ignore entire like hobbies and interests that I had. Um, but I also don't want to like introduce him into like the Pokemon cards or something. Cause I, I know how deep that rabbit hole can go and how quickly with me. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. You're seeing that obsessive all in type of thing uh-huh. and you, you just got to be really careful what you're actually presenting to him as like a valuable use of time. Yeah. Well, he did make it after probably 20 or 30 hours in the like opening area of the Zelda game for the Switch. He he today got up the courage to like go up the mountain and do the last like shrine. Like basically the last part of the intro of the whole game. Uh and not from lack of ability, but from wanting to like be super sure he was doing everything right. Yeah, yeah. And also it's a I mean it's a very epic game where like it is literally up a mountain and uh you will freeze if you don't eat some food that protects you against the cold to get up there and like to see him like work up the literally the courage to do this epic thing where he had spent dozens of hours like not dozens but a long time basically just bopping around in this one little forest like cooking food and running around and stuff it was cool that's very yeah that's very interesting i think it's more of a common trait of children to be like throw themselves into something, see what doesn't work, do it again. Uh, but I honestly was a little bit more like Archer in this respect. I like to really figure things out first, and then I would present what I felt like I had learned, you know, to the situation later. Yeah, I, I think, like, that sort of methodical... Uh, I'm, I'm with you on that as well. Like, I, I kind of wish, you know, the Switch is fine, and but I... I I do wish that we had like a computer where he could, you know, poke at a bunch of different more computery type games, not so much running around. But this isn't a video game podcast. Yeah, <sighs> it's not a. <laughs> it's not not a video game podcast. It's not <laughs> true. Uh, that is on my list, though. He's playing an RPG. Uh huh. Oh yeah, and I guess it is. As yeah. I am fond of them as well. Now this is not video game specific. Right. 
This is a question, like a sociology question. I don't know. Psychology, whatever. Um, that it seems apparent that people have different ways they play characters in video games, specifically role-playing games where you have to develop a character and you have a lot of choices to make with how that character behaves. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's just not indicative of the person's personality in any meaningful way as to how they play? Or like, have you seen patterns in your own playing uh, that like actually seem to fit with you? Well, um, man, I'm, I'm up here. I'm looking for it right now. There's a, I did a, actually get, did a talk about personality types and how they, uh, what kind of roles in an RPG or a game setting, uh, different people, uh, like appeal to different people. And, and the, the chart I'm trying to find, I won't find it, uh, is like a, uh, an X, Y axis, right? And on one side is, uh, in basically internal and external. And one side is, uh, goes from acting to experiencing, I think basically. So, uh, internal or an, an, an external actor kind of person is someone who the most they get out of an RPG or any sort of like game is like interacting with other players. It might be achieving point, point being like there's, you know, there's some people who are motivated by winning at other people. There's people that are motivated by like winning at the game world. Um, and they're not concerned by other people. Then there's other people who are more interested in exploring and understanding the game world. And there's more people that are just, they're not, they're interested in exploring and understanding other people. Those are kind of your four buckets. Does that make sense? Yeah, and to to be clear, this is in like an MMO setting. Uh, it, that one is uh, kind of MMO ish, but okay. I think the same thing applies to like uh, RPGs, like uh, like D- Dungeons and Dragons or like a tabletop RPG. There's some people who like want to have the best character, and uh, okay. uh, you I know, see. and they want to spar with other people in the party, and they get more invested in like being the best one in the party. Whereas there's other people who want to like complete the most quests in the game world and they're not that concerned with the party. There's other people who are just there to hang out and they're happiest when like everyone is getting along. Right? What about the idea of morality while playing a game? Um, <clears throat> in that it's a game. It's like a non-judgment zone of getting to behave whatever way you want. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's for me. It's really hard to shake having a good reason for doing things in the game. I don't think I enjoy it if I don't have a reason, like just a you know backstory. I don't know. And then my reasoning always has to. I don't know. I find myself being relentlessly fair in games. Yeah, not necessarily moral, but I like. I don't know. It, it's a game. I shouldn't even be entangled in that but yeah it seems to be the case well you and i i think are both in that somewhere in that fourth quadrant like not the being the best player not the completing the most quests and not the um hanging out and enjoying the company of other people in the game sort of secondary um i think we're both in the in the fourth quadrant which is like the experiencing the game um not necessarily to win it but to have the most like uh cohesive and like fulfilling experience within the game systems right like yeah okay i'm following that yeah so like in uh, along that line like uh 
the, to go back to video games, I guess the the like uh, the Elder Scrolls games, which are for the mm-hmm. uninitiated, are like potentially hundred hour long epic journeys where you start in like a dungeon with a dagger and a dirty shirt, and you, uh, you with some epic calling. I know, stop me if you've heard this particular arc, but like <laughs> you know, you're a level one Broheim with a with a wooden sword or whatever, and then by the end of the game, you're like shooting lightning bolts out of out of your uh, nostrils and. Uh, and for me, the most rewarding part of those games is not uh, the end where you're really powerful and you have a zillion of everything. It's the like beginning to middle act where you aren't, where you have just enough kind of like a means to get around in the world that like uh, some things are a little bit too dangerous and finding certain things is really exciting. And there's a certain amount of scarcity still in both like your abilities and like what you can take on, but also like the cool things that you find in the world like that, that to me is the sweet spot. And there's other people who are like, her, her I can put in a mod and now all the dragons turned into Thomas, the tank engine where, and like, <laughs> whereas like, I'm like, no, leave the dragons alone. Give me the mod that I like, turn the music off and give me the mod that makes dark, really dark. And, uh, yeah, no, you okay, know, we're exactly in the same place. There. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want everything to be like really immersive, and um, and it's and I don't want to be don't, super powerful. I want to be scared sometimes. You know, I don't. Right, know. I don't denigrate other play styles by any means. I just recognize I have a certain desire for playing, like you said. I mean, uh, here's an example. It's a game, so you know you can be trying to win it. So you have a companion or somebody who follows you around um and you know you might have spent four literal hours with this person npc doing stuff and you know he has a quest and you could spend a long time doing it or you could kill him and take something more valuable and Mm -hmm. be on your way because you have more powerful friends to play with anyways so the latter would be it's a game like what does it matter you know, you progress faster and get to do more things. I'm on the other side of the scale where I protect them at all costs, even though they're completely worthless at this point, but they're my quote unquote friend. They die like defending me and I drag their body to a river and release their body into a pristine river and let it float down and try to simulate a funeral pyre by shooting arrows at it, which isn't part of the actual game. But this is like the perverse thing that I find entertaining about the immersion of the thing. Ah, uh, I think that you're like farther down both axes than me. <laughs> if my uh, if my annoying companion, uh, of which there are is definitely one in Elder Scrolls, <laughs> uh, if my annoying companion uh, backs into a dragon and <laughs> dies, I will reload that save and leave them somewhere. So I don't have to deal with like that whole process. <laughs> like, oh, I, just... I have reloaded like really important things, but I find a balance where I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, that, that, that sounds like immersive on a, like a uh, interpersonal level with a, with a character in the game, which is pretty awesome. But also, like a little bit more, uh, a little bit more socially active than like my my immersion in a game is more with the like oh I'm gonna decide that every time I see a cherry pie I'm going to get it 
and then I'm going to eventually like fill my house with cherry pies that I found. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, I do, yeah, I do that as well. Yeah, but not to be stupid, just because like it gives you like this weird little uh, like it gives you purpose. Yeah, weird little goals like oh, this one bucket is all full of this kind of thing, and this other bucket I put everything else over here. You know, it, uh, it approximates life, but in a less stressful, more in fantastical way it's not escapism in that sense it can be but i think more it just eases your anxiety a little bit while letting you feel good about the things that you actually seek in life yeah i I really really feel like the term escapism is too loaded and has too much of a negative uh like i don't i don't i genuinely don't understand why someone who would binge a like a television, you know, an HBO show or whatever, would call a video game escapism, or even like someone who likes to garden for six hours, call you know, it, escapism sounds like it's a, the perceived value of the activity sure, by a third party. I guess that that seems real presumptuous, but yeah, and no, like, I mean like that's why it it is hard for another person to call what you're doing escapism. How could they know? Oh yeah, I guess so. I I try to steer away from using the term at all because when I hear the term escapism, my brain goes to like a local news segment on like EverQuest or something, right? Like something from the like well, late, late okay, 90s freak all out. agree on that. <laughs> something from the like late 90s freak out about like uh, uh people spending too much time in front of video games and all that stuff. Um Oh, uh, so do you, uh, I feel like the, the one, I mean, there are three things in this text from my mom. I I think that, uh, the, the middle one, I barely remember breaking Mrs. Jones's umbrella and I'm sorry about it. I didn't know that she would eventually become your mother-in-law. I don't, she doesn't talk about it. So Mm -hmm. you might be cool. Yeah. Either that or it's real bad. Um, (laughs) That's true. They, they aren't confrontational as a family group which is not how i am <laughs> so just just like keep uh keep an eye out like next time you're, you're around there just like poke into some closets and stuff and just see if there's like a little <laughs> like weird shrine set shut up with like an effigy of a um, just i'm just not saying it's there i'm just saying be keep an eye out okay i'll look around i'll let I'll let you know how bad it is. If it's real bad, I might not tell you. <laughs> that, that Well, you know, then we're right back where we started. Um, so the air compressor thing, I think, really deserves explanation. Who in trouble for that? That was brilliant. I, I haven't looked up on the internet if that was truly dangerous. It may have been. So uh, we had an air, com- like an air compressor, like a little electric air compressor that you would use to, um, to inflate a, uh, an air mattress. Right, it wasn't like a, a tire, like bike tires. It was yeah, yeah. a w- little bitty wee sort of electric motor thing, uh, with like a ten foot long uh, PVC tube, uh, and uh, we would sit on the bottom of the swimming pool, running the tube down to us. And if you did it right and you stopped breathing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now this yeah. is this is starting to sound more and more. You know, I'm I'm starting to look you at this with the delta eyes it- here. Let you let it breathe for you. Uh, well, you stop. You stop inhaling and exhaling, is what I'm saying. And you could just sit there, let this thing 
push air into your mouth and out your nose and sort of through your respiratory system. And as far as we know, indefinitely sit at the bottom of a pool. Um, we definitely did it for a while. <laughs> we had to get weights too. Cause Oh yeah. You had to, well, that was a later innovation. Um, cause you had to keep yourself down there. So like you go, you go down with a dumbbell in your lap and, uh, and let this thing, uh, pump air through your lungs. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think that uh, I, I think that it is a potential dangerous situation at greater depths. I think the ten foot pool or whatever we had, you can breathe normal oxygen yeah, pretty well. I can't imagine too much could pressures. happen to that air just being run through what was basically a fan. Like I don't feel like there was a, a any sort of like carcinogen being injected into the air during that process no i think it's more to do with i don't know divers have special air mixes and pressure the effect of pressure on i don't know anyway i'm fine right i mean (laughs) right in the big list of things i had forgotten about this completely so uh, of, of things that that might have cut short my life expectancy. I think we're good. I, I congratulate us for our our, uh, our uh, innovation at the time, and I'm sure that if it were now, we would have some garbage YouTube channel where we did it on that, or wouldn't. Uh, I don't know. I hope. I not. know old people say this, but I am thankful that I didn't have access to the current social online. Uh, systems. I don't know. If I want to talk about that, but uh, I've, I have I have exports of the database from my WordPress blogs from when I was like nineteen and twenty, and man, that stuff shouldn't have been on the internet in so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid of even journaling, uh, and not because I don't want to know what I think, because it actually is a very good way of just getting hearing what you're actually thinking. It's more like finding it later. And just not even wanting to acknowledge your past self. This is interesting. I I felt the exact. I feel that way about journaling and have to act, actually actively push against it. Have I talked about my five year journal on this program? I forget. I, no, you may have mentioned journaling to me. I mentioned my bullet journal, but the bullet journal is no. more about organization and not really about like your deepest feelings or anything. No, I I don't think you have. Okay. So, so I have a bullet journal. That's a whole other thing. Uh, that's like I said, more for like to do lists and understanding what the heck is going on in the, you know, the week, but there, I have a a thing Shannon bought me called the five year journal. And that is, uh, and there's a billion of these on every Pinterest board and, you know, and all every bookstore and stuff, but it's, Every page is uh, five sections and it's a date. So like on the January 1st, you do the first section and you go through the entire year. And then at the next year, you start over and you do the second section of every page and so on. And oh. it's, it's only like a, it's called like a few lines a day journal. It, and, and it literally is like an inch of paper that you have to like write what the heck happened. I um, mean, what's your general entry format? Is it like ate rice was bad still cold or is it like you know my coworker said something mean today and here's how i feel about it i well i've gone through so like i exactly like you never journaled growing up uh i journaled a little bit when i was like dating and first got married 
I wish that I had journaled every day of my life in retrospect, because I think like even even if you feel and I went through, you know, for the exact same reason, like 17 year old me already was having a hard enough time at 17. The last thing I needed to see every day would have been like the last, you know, if I had a five-year journal at 17 and I was having to look at like 15-year-old me, I would have been sad every day. I'm like, oh, 15-year-old me sucks. But then again, 17-year-old <laughs> me also sucked. Like I, I was working on it. Anyway, but I, eventually you go, I think, through the like uncanny valley of, of that stuff out the other side to where like now I'm, you know, early 30s me would be fascinated to read back about like 17-year-old me. So you know, it's it's a real long game, the journal, I think, if if you but I mean anyway, like I to answer your question actually, I uh attempted a uh a bunch of different formats over the years and I can recommend against a lot of them. Um mainly the, the logbook format, which I tried for like a couple of years, which was like literally what I eat for breakfast, what I eat for lunch, what I eat for dinner, uh what time did I go to bed? What time did I wake up? Because my idea was I was going to graph it, right? Like I was going to eventually have this like sweet uh, activity graph of like what were the types of food I ate all, all year long? I ate Mexican food 12% of the time, that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> and that's, I mean, maybe. Yeah, the, no, I will. I could definitely see you doing that. Right. And, it, and I guess at scale that might be sort of cool, but not that cool like eventually you not cool the right. result of that is you know you do all this work on all this tracking and you make a pie chart and then you're like yeah that seems about right <laughs> you're like yeah or <laughs> the best thing is i should cut back on mexican food yeah you know? or like oh yeah i, I did that sleep a lot, in a lot. Of work. huh interesting like there's no depth to that information at all right like, you you the idea i guess is that like eventually you it you can derive some greater meaning just by trend data but like, oh, I think I've heard of this idea. Yeah, it's. Mm, I think it probably works well for some people who already are doing it's, stuff like that. But sure. Well, I mean, it all depends on what you want to get out of it, and I think using it as a like way to journal that would avoid the real like I think the real challenge of journaling value is, of journal. Yeah, it's is confronting your yourself and like revisiting feelings and re- revisiting like mistakes that you made or whatever. Like that. That is like why journaling exists, but also the thing that makes it something I don't want to do. Um, so anyway, now I'm doing this a couple lines a day. Most of the days I'm like, you know, it's just like, what's the general sentiment of the day? Did I do anything interesting? Was I like, was I, did I feel happy today? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I like don't know. today's entry will be along the lines of got to talk to Brock again. Uh-huh. So great. Need to write this in my secret journal. Oh man, well, we can't talk about my secret journal. No, oh, no, um, you. I don't expect you to. But oh, yeah, yeah no. I don't think I can. Can I don't think I've found a reason not to journal. I can't think of a true negative unless you're not being honest with yourself in a literal <laughs> sense. In the case of a journal, uh, it is hard, like you said. But you, you only ever improve by actually looking at yourself like yeah. directly, which is sometimes terrible. I mean, you might even get seem to get worse, but do you want to pretend to be better or <laughs> try to be better? Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it is a, for like, if you're the kind of person who has like a 
um, constant, very loud, critical voice going at all times alongside your regular right. voice. Yeah. Like, it's hard to set that aside and be like, well, all right, well, even though it feels like either uh, disingenuous or um, too direct or too indulgent, right, to be like, I, you know, there, there's a million different ways that you could say, well, I've, I'm either like being either too authentic or not authentic enough in this journal entry, right? Like you just have to set it aside to be like, eh, this is, you know, I'm going to try to like write a couple of true things today and keep rolling. Uh, I don't know. I d- I'm doing okay. I think that, like I said, uh, it's a uh, something that you don't realize that you should have been doing until 10 years too late. Um, but uh, I'm doing it now. I, uh, today, cool. you know what I would write today is I, uh, for the first time, for some reason, I just never come up, uh, mainly because Shannon is so good at it, uh, but I cooked my uh, family's crawfish etouffee recipe. Um, oh, done cool. Yeah. It turns out it's not that hard. I, I literally have never, I mean, usually it, I'd ask, uh, this is like, crawfish etouffee is like, this is my family's recipe. I used to ask for it for my birthday, dinner, all, all that sort of stuff. So for some reason, even though I've made gumbo and I've made jambalaya and I've I've done a bunch of other like Cajun food. The etouffee, I've never even am in the kitchen when it's being made, so I've I've never I couldn't have told you what went into it anyway either. Really, mm. Even uh, turns out it's, it, it's mostly butter. It's <laughs> sort of a trade off because I've had similar experiences with things food related. That once you realize you can make it, or in some cases, be like, I could make this better. Um, it's exciting because you can have something you want and you understand it, but then it's sort of never is again, the thing that you saw it as, yeah. uh, but I mean, it's, it, I think it's on the whole better. It's just, I've had that happen. Yeah. And I mean, I made it and I didn't screw it up and it tasted good, but, uh, it's definitely a food that I think tastes better when someone makes it for you, you know? Yes. Certain, certain things like that. Like a, like Shannon said, it's like a sandwich. Sandwiches always taste better if someone else makes them for you, if they know what they're doing anyway. Um, Is that I, true? I, I think if it's a person that knows you and knows how to make your sandwich, yeah, yeah I think a, there's a, a secret ingredient is love and all that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually agree with you about that. It depends on the sandwich. But like Shannon knows the exact proper ratios for a BLT. And I have tried, and no BLT I have ever made has been as good as her BLT. All right. Got to keep that secret. Mm. All right. So the other thing in here uh, is I really feel like we need to get to, which is uh, I'm reading, I'm going to read it again. I remember this. This is not one you were present for, and I want to know if you even remember this going down. I remember the episode on the bike when you came home with handlebar rubber wedged in your braces. <laughs> and this is not... Uh, did, hmm. Yeah. Did you? Was there an explanation as to how it happened? I mean, I could tell you I was there, um, and I feel like that's not even all right. So what happened is we had um, we lived right near the airport, right? Uh, the last house we lived in in Pensacola, or before you were we in moved the woods. neighborhoods. Yeah, it was uh, with the ramps. The ramps. Yeah, there was a. Um, I may have been there because I went back there with you many yeah, times. Yeah, many times. You were not there for this specific time, but it was oh, land. Okay. It was land that was owned by the airport, uh, so there was no development back in there. And some kids had built 
uh, however long ago, like it could have been uh, it, thinking back through that, a couple of things. Number one, no idea how long those trails had been there because they were it was a pretty long trail with like some moguls that we found and like a couple of ramps, not like big ramps, but like little like t- two foot drop offs and stuff like that. Uh, so I number one, I have no idea how long that stuff was there. Uh, number two, I'm semi shocked we never ran into other kids like that, or uh, some uh, ne'er do wells. Like one oh, time, that was the great fear that made it yeah. a little more exciting. It was, and and this is definitely one of those things where like uh, even when my kid is 14, to to like let them just ride their bike through the woods somewhere. Uh, terrifying and like no one had a cell phone or anything right this was like the the universal sign of the wooded 'er ne'er-do-well teenage hideout was light beer cans yeah there were some light beer cans a defunct cooler or something yeah there was never we never like ran across any dirty magazines i never found we never ran into like uh, a sleeping bag or anything like that and this was this is pre the twenty five percent outgoing cell phone thing. Like there was no tracking on us at the time. Um, so anyway, I was back there riding my bike, going off those ramps, and it started raining uh, in this particular time. And I was I was wearing contacts too, which is important in a second. And I I was like psyched. Like you're riding your bike through the rain in the woods. It's cool. I was like. I was really charged up that day or whatever. So I was like going off those ramps uh, in the rain. And one of them, so I, I rode off this, this drop off, um, landed badly, dipped forward, hit my mouth on the um, handlebar of my bike. And um, what happened, and I, I guess there was handlebar rubber involved, but the, the part of the, the mouth to handlebar collision that was problematic was that my lower lip got stuck in the upper bracket of my braces. <laughs> so my, my, uh, my mouth was kind of like, like, uh, trapped closed, uh, and one of my contacts fell out. So I had to ride home with my mouth sort of like stuck closed, <laughs> uh, it, with one eye closed through the rain. And I got home and I was like a wreck. And apparently like my mom said, there was, handlebar rubber in my braces as well although the part that i remember was having to have someone help me get my mouth out of like undone so i could open my mouth again ever Um, i i i think i was at least aware of that event i mean maybe you were had a swollen lip or something i don't know i feel like i remember hearing that story if not present for it as you say you know we we uh we we drove we rode through those woods we did the this is the second bike accident on the program so far uh, we, uh, we would, uh, pull people behind the car with a, while they were wearing a skateboard deck with a shoe nailed into it. Um, it was duct tape, right? Or was it? I, I want to say that it got, uh, upgraded to like a, a more firm, it might've been duct tape. Cause I don't know how a nail would have worked out without someone getting their <laughs> foot stabbed. All right. So yeah, it was, a, it, minute, it was one shoe attached to the back of a skateboard deck and you would get pulled behind a car, um, I I could I mean we break I I don't know about you but I broke a hundred on the bridge over to Gulf Breeze at least once or twice and uh, somehow I never broke a bone and none of us ever got like, just to be the, clear those two were unrelated we weren't going a hundred miles per hour behind a no 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 yeah sorry I was car. driving I was in the yeah. car when it, like for all of the dumb crap that we did I I didn't break a bone until like a couple of years ago like I, I never. Uh, 
I was, yeah, I was accident prone, but not like disaster prone. Tell you, did you ever participate in like the roof trampoline? Oh yeah, jumping. Uh, that was a very big thing in my youth. I, I well, it's about what it sounds like. You run up on the roof and you leap off on the trampoline, but then you try to see what you can do with that because it never stops there you guys i would jump from the roof onto the trampoline and do like a flip but there was also some like roof trampoline ground action that i was never a part of that would i would have absolutely broken a bone doing that like the flip off of the trampoline yeah and then so like the, the trick the, is you the get roll. a good bounce yeah but you usually take a flip second bounce because the physics involved in flipping on the first bounce from a roof jump are very unpredictable i guess but of course one day i had to learn how to do it and uh i tried it and the very first time i tried it i did a flip but then i was you know however high you get off the first bounce um and then i was i was off the trampoline i was already past it forward so i had overestimated my forward motion and so the equivalent height had to be above 15 feet certainly um maybe 20 oh and well, not, I was, your house well wasn't 20 don't feet think tall. about it <laughs> now i get i hear you but we're talking like distance from the roof to the trampoline and then the trampoline to the ground after because uh, i was yeah, able to jump true. off the roof back onto the or off the roof trampoline back onto the roof so however high the roof is certainly all right yeah. However high that is, I don't know. But imagine I've flipped. We're 12 feet in the air. But I've, I'm already in another flip. And Off so I'm just, yeah, I'm just supermanning uh, over the ground. And I don't know what made me – it was instinct. I don't know. But I had no choice. I couldn't even try to land on my feet. So I continued the flip into a, like a tucked roll. So I came in head first on purpose and just tucked at the last minute to get most of the motion to go forward. So the equivalent of this would, yeah, to be leaping off the roof head first. And so the great thing is, not only was I not injured, but my immediate feeling was that I had to immediately try again because the fear of that event would stop me from ever doing it again <laughs> if i if i let myself experience it so then i did it again i undershot fell into the bushes but much less dangerously <laughs> and then i did it a third time succeeded and decided not to try it again i know i that isn't well that part isn't true because i remember coming to your house that during this like uh like like a wave of uh roof trampoline ground combo action and just not like i remember spending a day sort of not participating in the day's events because the day's events were something that would have absolutely resulted in me getting very hurt (laughs) because what i what you what you said in there that instinct that like uh like uh tuck and roll head first thing that that the instinct gland that's (laughs) that's the one that i i uh do not possess um and and like uh, i think we talked about it a couple weeks ago but the uh the uh the the concussion sort of thing that happened to me would you during- remember how you got yeah, the yeah. Concussion? and also 
I, I've got I've got a sort of a weird confession to make, but anyway, I'm gonna I've got to describe this scenario. So we have like a rope swing, and then we pulled the trampoline up to the up to the next to the uh, tree that had the rope swing. And the rope swings on a branch out from the tree. So you would um, grab the rope, get on the trampoline, kind of on the other side of the tree, and on a running start, do a full 360 swing around the tree, and then land back on the trampoline. Yeah, that's right. Um, but if you held on to the rope, the position of the rope was such that you could go past the trampoline and then the rope would, uh, it's a tether ball at that point. Yeah. And and there's another branch, right? A lower branch. And what happened to me was I stayed on the rope, did not let go. And the rope came around the tree, hit a lower branch. And if you can picture like, uh, listeners, the, (laughs) uh, the, uh, um, then the rope becomes a much smaller swing, with that second branch as sort of an axis. And at that point I, it flung me up to where I'm like looking directly up. And at that point, my physical instinct kicks in instead of the like tuck and roll or like the hold the hell onto the rope and go back the other way, uh, instinct, which would have been fine. My personal instinct was at the apex of that when I'm in a lying down position, 10 feet in the air to let go of the rope. (laughs) And, uh, so I fell on my back from pretty high I do I do think I probably was at least stunned or maybe got a concussion the groaning right. the groaning sound that is sort of like the 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 a very important part of the story in the past was mostly dramatized I will tell you I, Wait I, you weren't groaning and writhing I was groaning but it was a I I it the groaning was sort of a, a sort of an act Oh you were acting yeah. a little bit I oh, okay. I, I, did, I went and did like a uh, and then like later I was like oh it was crazy I didn't realize this was groaning oh man I must have had a concussion and like I totally did do make the groaning and I I milked it a little bit however I, I mean there was no way that I didn't take some sort of brain brain uh, like impact <laughs> damage from that fall um, I, don't, I, I, I don't know honestly, that pretending that it was a concussion made it cooler at all and the whole thing was just abs- abject <laughs> failure from beginning to end. <laughs> I don't know. I think at, at that stage in life, the concussion was the the only sort of salvageable, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, type thing from. I mean, I was. I, I honestly did fear for you in situations like that, where I certainly wanted you to participate, but I was I was not going to be the guy egging you on to do something that. That I might do with a friend who I thought wouldn't hurt themselves. <laughs> like, again, well, I appreciate that. Some kind of instinctive wisdom here because I was just a kid. But, like, I really thought, oh, I'm not going to push Cam to do this. Like, we're not out to hurt each other here. <laughs> I remember one time we were just, maybe I was showing you how to catapult, you know, where you make somebody bounce really high on the trampoline. Yeah. And you just careened right off of it onto our deck or something. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, we can slow this down. Oh, man. I, now, there, there was a, uh, a trampoline. There was a roof to pool uh, sort of thing in the, in the house after that I never that participated was, in. I think that was legitimately dangerous. Yeah, that was, like, you had to clear f- like 10 feet of concrete to get to the pool from well, the roof. Yeah, I mean, doing double flips off of a trampoline into a normal-sized pool, just the 
well, just yeah, the task of trying to get it landing in the right spot. Uh, very dangerous, but. <laughs> Suddenly, Jacob, when, when you're jumping off of a trampoline into a normal-sized swimming pool, the pool seems a lot smaller. Well, that's one of those things I, I do think. Yeah, no, don't do that. Jacob's friends were much more uh, – well, they, they took risks, but more like who can one-up each other risks. And I was more of like a self – exploratory you know what can i do and so the one-upping risks and the impressing others uh leads to deathly decisions i mean they try to run off of the roof into our pool which was many feet of concrete away into the shallow end and do a flip type of thing Uh, not cool but nobody died nope I, I did do the trampoline to the pool thing. That was pretty cool. Um, it was very Yeah. Hey, remember when we were up at – did you do this when we were up at uh, Bryan College and found that, like, big boulder that was above a waterfall in, in, that you could, like, leap over and down into? Uh, no. You were Are hanging you out sure? – Maybe. I don't remember leaping off a boulder. I remember you ended up mountain boarding with some kid who was like on a reality TV show. Well, that is also true. Um, (laughs) I mean, he he was so after the fact. No, you didn't do that. It was okay. So this is one of those cases where you remember things in your past more epically. Like I was 20 feet off the trampoline. Okay. Still dangerous, but maybe not 20 feet. Um, and this was – you go hiking up into the, the woods. You know, there they had a state park and it was a little creek river. And if you found the right place, there was like a – there was – not like – there was a waterfall. And it went into a pool, which then carried on. Well, the pool was relatively deep, maybe 10 feet deep. And there was a very large – boulder rock outcropping to the right of it and so we'd get up there and we'd run off but the the height was significant and the distance between the top of the rock and the middle of the pool was not insignificant i don't know how many feet it was i hesitate to guess because i'm wildly off but it was far enough that if you didn't if your foot slipped on a plant you would be hitting rocks not water so Again, something I wouldn't do again, but was cool at the time. And I thought I oversold it in my mind, but I was happy with it because it was fun. Well, like last year, I was looking, I was house cleaning and I found a bunch of old photographs, many of which are entertaining if you want any photographs of us at Bryan College. I, I do. I have mine, but I've never <laughs> seen anyone else's. Uh, uh talk about not wanting to remember certain behaviors but um so i have a picture that some girl sent me after the fact that was taken of me leaping off of this boulder there was no underselling of this it looked horrifyingly dangerous (laughs) i was really freaking high uh so i feel good and bad about that um, if you if you find that how accessible is that photo is it like around I, I did not get rid of it so 
I'm confident if I give myself an hour, I could one day I could find most of this stuff. All right. Well, one day doesn't sound super. Uh, that doesn't sound super optimistic. But if you find it in time for the show art for this episode, uh, I will throw it up in there. Uh, okay. I'm curious. I this absolutely never. So there. This is a theme with me in summer colleges in Eric summer camps in retrospect. But I never was there for that. I don't remember any boulders or I don't remember swimming in Tennessee at all. I don't think I ended up in any situation like that. Similarly, years before when we were like 11 or something, Camp Victory over in Alabama, uh, perfect name for a kid's summer camp. Uh, we did two, I did two uh, sessions in Camp Victory. Camp Victory had kayaking. It had, I think, horseback riding. It had uh, archery. It had um, some sports stuff. It had a swimming pool. And it had a putt-putt course, uh, probably some other stuff. I never did any of it. I did – here's what I did at Camp Victory. What got, did you do? Were we there at the same time? Yeah. I would, ha- I would do I all the group so. stuff. But during the, like, rec times where everybody would go off to do the other things, um, I eventually got to the point where I could hole-in-one the whole putt-putt course. <laughs> but that was all I did. I never played basketball. I never went on the – I think I went on the paddle boats, like, once – uh, I never went horseback riding. I never went archery-ing or anything else. I never did any of it. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't say that you really didn't get the experience. <laughs> I, I mean, the horseback riding was not like it was you're in a line of horses. The kayaks and canoes were on a small lake. Oh, I remember them. Yeah. I mean, what, what was experienced was doing this with others of your age. So did you have a golfing companion or were you just there alone? I would have mentioned the golfing companion. (laughs) (laughs) They were part Ah, of the story. Rise and see 